Well, as you can tell from the graphic that's on the screen here, we're continuing our series. Of course, many of you knew that. We're beginning part four today. We've been studying together Psalm 23, and I think that what we're going to look at today is going to be a message for all of us. Uh, maybe not every part of the message is going to be where you're at, where you're existing, where you're living right now, but I can promise you that uh, I believe there's going to be aspects of it that is going to impact your life, and we're going to learn together, and we're going to grow together. We're talking in this series about experiencing the good of God, and I hope that you'll get your notepad ready. I hope you'll get your tablet, your phone, whatever you're going to take notes down on. I'm going to take you to probably eight or nine different verses or passages, so a lot of Scripture that we're going to look at today, but we'll do it quickly. Uh, this message uh, flows right out of Psalm 23, but before I read to you from Psalm 23, I want to read, and you've seen this on the screen, you won't today, but uh, in the two or three previous weeks leading up until now, you've seen this on the screen. Today, I want to just read it. So here it is. This is Psalm 119 and verse 68, and this is what it says. You, and it's talking about God, you, God, are good. You are good and Everything you do is good. You do only good. So there's this resolute understanding that our God is a good God. And what a good God does is actually good things. And throughout this series, we have seen evidence of a really good God. In fact, Psalm 23 begins this way. The Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. We serve a good God, a good shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And uh, I'm not pointing this out in the previous weeks, but uh, this idea of a shepherd, it reminds us what God does in each of our lives. And this is what he does. He leads and he feeds and uh, he protects. Let me say that again. As our shepherd, he gives us leadership. He leads us. We'll be coming to that and talking about that in an upcoming week. He also feeds feeds us. But another uh, thing that a shepherd does is not just leads and feeds, but he also protects. Now, there's a crucial phrase that is found in this passage, but I want to begin at verse 1, and I want you to look at it with me right here. Here's the portion I just mentioned to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and we talked about that last week. Here's the phrase we're going to focus on today, and it's a really important phrase. He, God, the, the shepherd, our good shepherd, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now, that word soul, we hear it mentioned uh, in a lot of different ways. Uh, how about this? You've heard this expression when somebody's talking about their connection with somebody else. Uh, they may use this phrase, we're, we're just like kindred souls. Or you've heard this, maybe at a funeral service or a graveside service, rest his soul. How about this one? You ever heard this one? Bless his soul. That's what we want to have. have you, how about this one? Have you ever been a part of something or you've heard this expression, something was soul-stirring? Soul-stirring. Or you've heard this. I know you've heard this one. Soulmates. People come together and, uh, you know, somebody says, they're my soulmate. How about this one? She bears her soul or he bears their soul. They just open up. 
How about this one? This is a usage of the word, an old soul. Have you ever heard somebody say that about somebody else? You know what they are? They're just an old soul. Or this one, they're a restless soul. But the fundamental question, a lot of different ways that that word soul is often used, but the fundamental question that we need to focus on in our time together today is really this. What is your soul? I want you to just think about that in your own life. What is your soul? Listen, you have a soul. You may not know at this point what your soul is, what your soul does, but the Bible says that you have a spirit and you have a soul and you have a body. You have a spirit a soul, and a body. Now, I want you to consider this, and I'm not going to elaborate on this for time's sake, but I want to go ahead and toss it out, and you can look it up later. Uh, a lot of scholars, a lot of theologians sort of made this connection, helping us to somewhat understand, you know, body, soul, spirit, and uh, sometimes they reference the Old Testament tabernacle or temple, where there was an outer court, and then there was this inner court, and then there was the Holy of Holies. But this is the part, and again, uh, I wish we had time to get into that. We're not going to do that today. But I want you to be sure you get this down because it's really important. Your soul is actually your mind and your will and your emotions. Now, you may want to write that down somewhere because it's really important, and you're going to wonder about it later, or you're going to try to explain this to somebody later, and it'd be good for you to have something to reference. All of us have, and we need to be clear on this, this according to Scripture, all of us have a soul and a spirit and a body. Now, I'm not even going to try to get into it because it's very complex. We don't have the time. What is sort of the difference between our soul and our spirit? Our soul is spirit and a body. But our soul is our mind and our will and our emotions. Here's another way to say it, and I think this will be really helpful to you. Our soul is that part of us that thinks and chooses and feels. And I, I want you to get that down. It's, it's that part of us, our soul is that part of us that thinks, because we're dealing with our mind, that part of us that chooses, and that's connected with our will, and that part of us that feels, and that is connected to our emotions. And uh, let me just add this, that um, our soul can be damaged. We looked at the phrase just a moment ago in Psalm 23, uh, where it says, the Lord, our great shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, our great God, that what he is able to do and what he wants to do and what I believe he's going to do for many of you is he's going to restore your soul. And what does our soul need to be restored? Our soul needs to be restored because our soul can be easily damaged. Let me ask you a question. I, I, I know that I can't hear your response, but maybe you'll go ahead and call it out as I ask you as though I could. Can your mind be damaged? What do you think? Absolutely. Your mind, my mind can be damaged. What about your emotions? Can your emotions be damaged? Call it out. Yes, our emotions can be damaged. What about, what about your will? What about my will? What about the will of people? Can your will be damaged? Absolutely. Your will can be broken. You see, our minds, and I want you to think about it, and I'll just mention this, and we'll just move on to talk about some really, really practical things, but we need to set this up. Our minds can be damaged in a lot of different ways. Our minds, and you know this, our minds can be damaged by trauma. Trauma can damage our minds. Did you know that uh, sometimes our life experiences can be damaging to our minds? And, of course, we realize this 
we can damage our own minds, listen to this now, by what we put into our mind. Now, you know, you and I are constantly putting either good things or bad things into our mind, and we can actually damage our mind based on what we put into it. Well, what about our emotions? Our emotions can be damaged. And let me ask you this. Have you ever felt emotionally depleted? Has that ever happened to you? Um, for many, maybe all of you, you have at times felt emotionally depleted. How about this? Have you ever felt overly emotional? And you're like, yes, I have. And I know other people who have as well. Did you know this about your emotions? Did you know that your emotions can actually lie to you? Your emotions do not always tell you the truth. You may say, well, that's in my emotions. Therefore, it must be true and accurate and need to be acted upon. But our emotions can, can lie to us. So our minds can be damaged. Our emotions can be damaged. What about our will? You see, our will, as I mentioned to you just a moment ago, our will is tethered to our choices. And let me just ask you this. Do you always make the right choices? Do you always do the right things all the time? Certainly not. Sometimes, and you know this about you and I know it about me, sometimes our choices are reckless. They're just reckless. We make a choice that's like, you know, why, you ever said this? What was I thinking? What was I thinking when I made that decision, when I made that choice? Sometimes our choices are sinful. Are they selfish can I just plainly say, sometimes our choices, choices are just stupid. We didn't think them all the way through. We just made a decision on the whim of the moment. Now, we saw this in Psalm 23 just moments ago. It's what a supremely good God wants to do. The Lord is my shepherd. You saw that in verse 1. And he wants to, the latter part of that phrase that we looked at just a moment ago is this. He restores our soul. And that's what I'm praying that God will do for you today. That God would restore your soul if any part of your soul is damaged. Your mind, your will, your emotions. That part of you that thinks or chooses or feels. That part of you that may be damaged. That part of you that may be broken. So I want to give you, and I hope you're ready to take a couple of notes here. I want to give you three things that can damage your soul. We're going to keep it simple, but very practical and very relevant uh, to how you and I will experience life in its different ways. All right, so three things that can damage our soul. It's not the only three, but it's three primary ways. The first one is this. Be sure you get it down. Our soul can be damaged by grudges. By grudges. If you allow your, your soul, if you allow your life, if you allow yourself to become bitter or resentful, or you start thinking in terms of revenge, they did this to me, and, and this is how I'm going to get them back, or you're entertaining thoughts of retaliation, this can quickly, and we need to be clear on this, friends, this can quickly turn into something that can be very soul-damaging. Grudges can damage our soul. Now, I hate to tell you this, but I want to be really practical here. And, and it's something that you know and something you probably need to be reminded of, but I want to mention it uh, nevertheless. And you've heard me say it. Most of you have at some point in, in the past. You are not going to make it all the way through your life without being hurt. Let me say that again. You're not going to be able to go from your birth to your death without being hurt. Now, sometimes when you're hurt, 
It's completely unintentional. That's happened to you, and it's happened to me. Somebody didn't mean to hurt us. There was no malice. There was no, uh, no intent to hurt us, but, uh, but it hurt us. Unintentional, they were innocent. It hurt us nevertheless. Even though it was unintentional, it still stung, still had a bite to it. But sometimes we're hurt, but by the person we're hurt by, it was unintentional. They didn't mean to do it. It just happened. But other times, as you and I know, it's brutally intentional. They intended to hurt us. Has that happened to you? Oh, yeah. You can sort of wave your hands at me if that's ever happened to you. It's happened to us all. We've been hurt, and sometimes we do. You know, I can think back to a time in my life where I just felt really hurt by a circumstance, a situation, and and, you know, I was conflicted by some of those thoughts like, you know what, they did this to me. And, and I, you know, I wasn't thinking of like any kind of evil retaliation. I was thinking, um, you know, more in ways like it would, it would be great if an infestation of fleas would just take over their bed and they couldn't sleep at night. Or if all the love bugs in the state of Florida could be gathered up while they're still alive and deposited into their house, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Well, that may be a wonderful thing, but that's the wrong way to think. And, and listen, that may be a simple thing, and that may be just a humorous way of approaching it. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of times when we're, when we're holding a grudge, it's not humorous. There's nothing funny about it. It's serious. We become bitter. We become resentful. And the really big question uh, for us is not actually, will we get hurt sometimes? That's not the question. That's settled. Are you going to be hurt? Absolutely. You will be hurt sometimes. Will I be hurt sometimes? Absolutely. You and I will be hurt sometimes. But the real question we need to be asking is this, how will we respond when we're hurt? So let's be clear on that before we look at a couple of verses. It's not whether or not you or I are going to be hurt. We are going to be hurt. That's not the question. The question is, how are we going to respond when we are hurt? I want you to look at a couple of verses here. This is out of the Old Testament book of Job, and this is going to make sense to a lot of, a lot of you. To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. To worry yourself to, to death with, look at the word, resentment. Man, that would be foolish, uh, the writer says. It's a senseless thing to do. Uh, when your life is just encumbered by resentment, it can take up so much emotional and physical and spiritual energy trying to deal with that. To worry yourself to that. You don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Look at this next verse. Still out of Job. Look at this one. Here it is. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. You're only hurting yourself. A lot of times we think, well, I'm going to get mad. I'm going to get angry, and that's going to hurt them. <laughs> it's not hurting them. It doesn't. They go on with their life. Well, I'm going to be so angry. I'm going to be so mad at them. I know that's going to be hurtful. It's not going to hurt them. It's going to hurt you. It will hurt me if that's our motivation. Because they're going to go on in life. They're going to keep going about their job. They're going to keep going about their life. They're going to keep going to restaurants. And they're going to keep going, uh, you know, about their day. And they're going to keep going, you know, on vacation. It's not going to hurt them. But it, it hurts us. So grudges can damage our soul. Secondly, here's something else that can damage our soul. I want you to be sure you get it now. This is really big. We can damage our soul, or our soul can be damaged by guilt. Guilt. See, grudges primarily deal with what people have done to us, but guilt revolves around what we have done to other people. 
And I want to just put it this way, and I hope you'll realize this. I hope you'll just sort of, you know, process it. And if this is a struggle for you right now in your life, because I mentioned at the outset, not every part of this talk, not every part of this message is going to impact your life, but there are segments. And for some of you, this is the rub in your life right now. It revolves around what you've done to other people. And nothing will steal away your happiness any quicker than unconfessed guilt. Now, we need to be clear on this, and, and I want this to, to be substantiated in our thinking because a lot of times there's a misconception concerning the nature of God. A lot of people think this way, God wants me to be guilty. Uh, a lot of people think that God wants me to get, be guilty. God is happy when I'm carrying guilt around. Now, that may be true of other people. Other may, people may like it. Other people may try to get you to feel guilty or they try to manipulate you with guilt. But that is not something that God wants us to carry around. God does not want us to carry around guilt. Can I be real specific on that? God hates guilt, and God loves to forgive guilt. And furthermore, God did not create us to carry guilt around. He simply did not. Now, this is King David, and this is Psalm 38 and verse 4. I want you to look at it right here with me. This is what David said, and a lot of us have experienced this. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden. Look at this phrase, too heavy to bear. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden, too heavy to bear. You know, the longer that you and I carry around guilt, the heavier that it becomes. We carry it around, and it becomes heavier and heavier. With a grudge, you have to forgive others, all right? Other people have hurt you, and you know, sometimes, as I mentioned a moment ago, it can be intentional. Other times, it's completely unintentional. If there's a grudge, what we have to do is we have to forgive others. But with guilt, the second aspect of what can damage our soul, it's different. We need to ask God to forgive us, and then we need to take it a step further, and we need to forgive ourselves. And sometimes, you know, I've been a pastor for a long enough time now, and sometimes people struggle to receive the forgiveness of God. They have trouble convincing themselves that God is really uh, forgiving them of the things that they feel guilty about. But God stands ready to forgive our sin. God stands ready to eradicate our guilt. And sometimes I've seen, uh, you know, the other side of that, where somebody says, well, you know what? I've received the forgiveness of God, but I'm having trouble forgiving myself. Now, concerning guilt, more specifically sin, we choose that we will not. And I'll be quick here, but this is something that needs to be stated. As it relates to sin, as it relates to guilt, we choose we're not going to deny it. We're not going to pretend that it doesn't exist. Deny, deny, deny. I, I have sin in my life. I'm going to deny. I feel guilty. I'm going to deny. We choose we're not going to minimize it. We're not going to say, well, you know what? Everybody else is doing a lot of bad stuff. And based on what other people are doing, this is small by comparison. We're not going to minimize it. We're not going to rationalize it and say, well, you know, based on what has happened to me in my past, this is only the result of something that was sure to come as a result of that. The right response, listen now, friends, is not to deny deny sin or not to deny guilt. It's not to deny it or to minimize it or to rationalize it. The right response is to confess it, to confess it. Confess it to who? Confess it to God. Confession actually means this. Confession actually means, confession is this, that I actually agree with God. I'm in agreement with God about my sin. I'm in agreement with God about my guilt. And we ask God to forgive us of what we've done. We've, we've asked God to forgive us of our sin. We want this guilt to be eliminated from our life, and we receive God's forgiveness, and we forgive ourselves. 
What can damage our soul? We mentioned, first of all, grudges can. Secondly, we just said that guilt can. Here's a third thing that can damage our soul, and that is grief. Grief can damage our soul. All of us are going to experience grief in life. That's going to happen. Just as all of us can be hurt, all of us can experience grief. And why are you and I going to become familiar with grief? It's for this reason. Because you and I are going to experience losses in life. Now, here's the difference. Here's the difference. And, and we need to make a little line of demarcation here. Because the difference is this. Um, guilt is not a good thing. It simply is not. Grudges are not good things to carry around. They simply are not. It's not that grief is soul-damaging. Grief is different from the earlier two that we just looked at with grudges and with guilt. Grief, unless we refuse to deal with it or we deal with it in unhealthy ways, grief handled appropriately can be a productive thing. It can be a positive thing. Now, if we respond inappropriately or in unhealthy ways to grief, and again, I wish we had time to talk about that in more detail. Maybe we'll do that in the future. But here's an unhealthy way of dealing with grief. We just say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to resist it. I should be grieving, and grief is normal as a response to loss, but I'm not going to allow myself to grieve, or I'm going to repress grief in my life. See, I believe this with all of my heart. If we experience loss, we're going to grieve. And it's generally speaking much easier to walk through grief early on in the process of the loss than to keep repressing it and resisting it because actually in time we're going to grieve. And uh, there's healthy and unhealthy ways. Again, wish that we could get more into it. But I want to keep moving. And I want to take you to something that David said. Look at what he writes. This is Psalm 31.9. He said, Lord, have mercy because I'm in misery. He's talking about grief in this occasion. You'll see why. He said, my eyes are weak from so much crying. Have you been there? And my whole being is tired from grief. My whole being is tired from grief. God wants to restore our soul. God wants to heal our soul from grudges and from guilt and from grief. So how does that happen? And that's what I want to deal with right now in the last few moments that we're together. How does Jesus heal our soul? How does Jesus? Maybe maybe what we've just been talking about, maybe you're saying, well, you know, Pastor Jeff, that's where I'm at. Somebody hurt me. Somebody did me wrong, and I feel bitter about it, and I, I feel resentful, and I have had thoughts of, you know, I hope that something similar happens to them, or, or you flirted with ideas of revenge or retaliation. And so maybe that's where you're at, and you're just saying, you know what? I don't want to keep holding on to this grudge. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's not productive for my life. Or maybe it's guilt. Like the writer said, guilt is like a burden too heavy to bear the longer I carry it the heavier it gets or I'm going through a time of grief and how is it that Jesus heals our soul and I want to I want to speak to you in the last few moments concerning that and give you three thoughts here before we're done first of all this is what Jesus does and I want you to be sure you get this down Jesus turns our hurts into healing If all of us have been hurt, we're going to be hurt. Here's the good news. Jesus is able to turn our hurts into healing. In other words, Jesus is always working overtime to bring some good out of the bad that's in our life. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this series. How do we experience the goodness of God? How do we experience the goodness of God? 
you know, recently, I, I mentioned to you, um, the, you know, the loss of my, my mom and my dad and how that just happened within, you know, technically weeks of one another. And so I'm not going to go back into that because I've already mentioned that. But, you know, during that time, you're just wondering, well, God, you know, it's not like Dad was elderly. I mentioned to you. Dad was 72. Mom was 70 uh, when they passed. Within weeks, I think it was a space of about three or four months. And so, you know, that, that's a struggle, and, and, it's, and it's tough. And, and during the tough times, we ask, generally speaking, why is this happening? Have you ever asked that when you're walking through a tough time? Have you ever asked this question, why is this happening to me? Maybe that's where you're at right now. You're just walking, you know, in your family, maybe in your relationship with your kids, maybe at work, maybe in your finances, maybe in your own health, maybe in your own emotions. You're just saying, why is this happening to me? Or why is this happening to me now? Or maybe you're wondering, is there anything good at all that can come out of that? And those are questions that all of us ask. I've asked that. You've asked that. But I think an important question that we could add to that, we can and should ask, is this. God, and it's really, and I'll, I'll just, you know, want to be candid about it. It's a statement of spiritual growth and maturity that we're growing in our relationship with God. And it's a lot easier to ask when we're mature in our faith rather than just starting out in the faith. And that is God. God, you are such a good God. What is it? that in this. I don't like this. This is a tough time. But, but God, what are you trying to teach me? In, in this time, is there anything that I can learn? Is there any way that I can grow from this? You know, in regards, and I'll just take it back, and that's why I mentioned it a moment ago, to the loss of my dad and mom, uh, you know, within weeks of one another. You know, it just seems like nothing good can come out of that at all. But now looking back, and it was painful, it was a lot of emotions. Your emotions are raw. We were talking about emotions and how our soul gets damaged. But, you know, looking back, I started to realize, you know, coming through the grief of that, the loss of that, I started realizing that, that God could actually bring some good out of that in my life. Because many times in the past, when I would say uh, and mean it with all of my heart, when somebody would lose a parent, when they'd lose a mom or a dad, I would say many times to people, well, you know, I'm so sorry I meant that. I'm praying for you. I was doing that. But I would never say, and I, I know how that must feel, because I didn't know how it was feel. But having lost my dad and mom, now I, I know what it's like to feel the loss of a parent. There's other losses in life that I, I don't know what that feels like, but I know. And so was it, was it tough? Absolutely it was tough. What was the good that came out of it? it? It's taught me how to sympathize and empathize with people that have lost their parents. See, God is able to bring all kind of good out of all kind of bad negative circumstances in our, in our lives. And I, I won't detail what happened in the life of Joseph. You need to read. If you think the Bible is not an interesting book, then you've never read the Bible all the way through. I've read a lot of books, and the Bible's the most in, interesting, adventurous, eventful book that I've ever read in my life. And I've read it again and again. And the story of Joseph in his life is, is, is turn of events every, every time you flip the page. And here Joseph is, and he's growing up, and, and his brothers despise him, and they're jealous of him. And, and he's boastful early on. He should have done that. Hey, this, this coat that my father's given me. And, and his own brothers actually sell him into slavery. 
And then Joseph ends up in a country that's totally unfamiliar to him. He's in Egypt, and, and he's working in the home. He's been elevated and promoted in some regard, and now he's working, you know, in a key position in the home of Potiphar and all of Potiphar's responsibilities. But here Joseph is, having been sold in slavery after being put into a pit, left to die. He was then, you know, sold into slavery, and now he ends up in Potiphar's house, and it looks like things are going to, you know, turn out to be a little bit more productive. But then he is falsely accused by the seductive wife of Potiphar, and, and that lands him in prison. But God is able, even in his situation, to bring something very good out of something that was very bad in his life. And he's later promoted, and you need to read this story. He's later, I'm just giving you the high marks of it. He's later promoted by Pharaoh, and, and he's like second in command in all of Egypt. And his family back in Israel is affected by a great famine, and his brothers are sent to Egypt. These brothers, can you imagine? You've got to read that portion. It's, it's eyebrow-raising. His brothers go back, and they realize that this is his brother. The brother there they're asking for help for in the middle of the famine is the very brother that they've sold, that they They've betrayed, and they're just sort of waiting for the, for the foot to drop. They're waiting to be punished. But I want you to see, this is all the way back in the first book of the Bible. This is Genesis 50 and verse 20, and this is Joseph speaking to his brothers because they're like, oh, man, what is he going to do to us? Look at what we did to him. And Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God intended it all for good. You meant evil. You wanted to hurt me, but God's bringing something good out of the negative that you planned for my life. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And Joseph was used by God. It was a bad, it was a negative, it was a tough time in his life, to say the least, at a level that most of us could never understand in 10 lifetimes. But Joseph had the real, realization and the spiritual maturity to say, well, you know what? You meant for evil to his brothers. God is able to bring something good. And God is using me now to save your lives, to save dad's life, our family back home, but also many, many other people. Well, that's, that's what Jesus is able to do. That's how he heals our soul. He turns our hurts into healing. Secondly, he takes our guilt and he forgives our sin. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He carried your sin and mine all the way to the cross. When Jesus carried the cross, he was not only carrying the cross, he was also carrying our sin and our guilt. And it was a very heavy load. I've mentioned these three grandchildren and, you know, living here, for those of you that are watching and you don't live in the state of Florida, we're not too far from Disney World. And every child wants to go to Disney World. And although uh, our grandkids are very small, I, I can remember being at Disney World and they start getting tired and they want to be carried. And uh, they're like, you know, Papa, carry me. And, and you know, you're going to do what they want. So I'd pick them up and I'd carry them. But, you know, to be such little people, the longer you carry them, the heavier they would get step by step. And after a while, these little bitty grandkids got awfully heavy. Now, what helped offset it was they may have been getting heavier, but having been at Disney World, my wallet was a lot lighter. So it offset a little bit. But the longer you carried, you know, the longer I carried them around, just you know, the heavier it got. Now, how does Jesus heal our soul in this regard? Now, this was written, and I need to hurry because we're about out of time, but this was written 700 years before Jesus went to the cross. And this is what it says. He was wounded for our rebellious acts. Look at the rest of this. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so that we could have peace, and we received healing from his wounds. Look at the next part of this verse. 
We have all strayed like sheep. Each one of us have turned to go his own way. And the last phrase, and the Lord has laid all of our sins on him. So when Jesus was carrying the cross to the Golgotha, he was not only physically carrying his cross, he was carrying our sin and our guilt all the way to the cross. What a trade that is. Wish I had more time to talk about. What a trade that is that we give God our sin and guilt and God gives us his goodness and righteousness. Let me say that again. That's what God does with our guilt. We come to the cross. We come to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us. We're willing to forgive ourselves. And Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to take from you your sin and your guilt and I will carry it and in its place, here's what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna pour into you my goodness and my righteousness. Thirdly and finally, Jesus fills your grief and he heals your heart. Jesus fills your grief and he heals your heart. See friends, as we get ready to wrap this message up, I want you to understand this. There's no feeling that you've ever had that would be unfamiliar to Jesus. No feeling. You say, well, I'm walking through a time of pain. Does Jesus understand my pain? I can assure you he does. Well, I'm walking through a time of, of grief. Does Jesus really know what I feel like in my grief? He most assuredly does. I feel so alone. I feel like I'm by myself. Does he know what it's like to feel alone? I promise you, Jesus knows that. Well, I feel rejected. I've been rejected by family. I've been rejected by some of my friends. I've, I've, I've been rejected. Does Jesus know the feeling of being rejected? And I can assure you that he does. Let's go back to Isaiah for just a moment. Isaiah chapter 53. Speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted, look at these two words, with deepest grief, the deepest grief. You're saying, I'm grieving. He understands. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Look at the next portion. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. Does Jesus understand our grief? He does. And as we get ready to pray, maybe as you've been watching today, you just, you just say, you know what? My heart is broken. And, and I don't know what has broken your heart, but Jesus does. But if your heart is breaking or your heart is broken, I encourage you to walk in the direction of a loving and compassionate Savior, a loving and compassionate shepherd. Ask Jesus, because he wants to do it, to heal your heart. Ask Jesus to restore your soul. One last verse, and we'll pray. Psalm 147 and verse 3, he heals. Maybe that's what you need today. He heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. Let's pray. God, you know who of us today is carrying around grudges, and we don't want to do that any longer. We know that that will damage our soul, and so we choose to forgive. We choose that we're not going to retaliate. We choose that we're not going to get revenge. That's not what we're going to do. God, so we take our grudges and we choose to forgive and we ask for your help. We take the guilt that we carry uh, carried around because we sin. In fact, Paul said, we sin and fall short of the glory of God. And God, here's what we want to do. We want to turn from our sin. And we want to get rid of the guilt because it gets so heavy. The longer we carry it, the heavier it gets. And thank you that you will take our sin and our guilt upon yourself and you'll give us your goodness and your righteousness.
God, I pray for every person that right now is walking through a time of grief, that they will know, first of all, that you understand their pain and you specialize in healing those who have broken hearts. And God, if there's somebody today that's not in right relationship with you, that as we end our time together, that they would say, Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I come to the cross. I kneel at the cross, and I want to receive your grace and your forgiveness. I want to receive your mercy, God. And I thank you, God, that you stand ready to give it to each one who calls upon your name. Your word says that those who call upon your name, they will be saved. So thank you that you heal us. Thank you that you restore our soul. And thank you that you save us. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you, everybody. God bless you. Have an awesome week. I'll see you next week. What a great message for us during this season. You know, it can often seem like life is attacking us from all angles. But the truth is that if we stay close to Jesus and follow his lead, our souls can be strong and ready for whatever comes our way. And if you've decided to follow Jesus during this message, congratulations. You've just made the most important decision of your life. Take a moment to post a comment or call us at 863-859-6000 and let us know so that we can celebrate with you and help you through the next steps in your faith journey. Thank you again for joining the service today. We'll see you again this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. at the North Campus or online. Have a great day.